Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me and the Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Call me Mara. That is how she returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth and the Moabites. With her daughter-in-law, they arrived in Bethlehem at the time of the barley harvest. Emptiness and bitterness prevailed. That was the last time. But then in verse 20, the Lord bless him, Boaz, the Lord has not stopped showing his kindness. That is tonight. And so Ruth stayed clean until the barley and the grain harvest were finished. We hear about the harvest again, but now there is hope and the beginning of happiness. Because at the end of chapter 2, this beautiful story right in the middle of it takes a turn. And God's grace continues to unfold as we continue our journey through the book of Ruth. Let us briefly summarize where we left the last time. It was in the time of the judges. The time that there was no king in Israel and everybody did what was right in his own eyes. A period of 400 years during which Israel time and time again stumbled, lost faith, forgot to trust in their God who had given them this land of milk and honey. Every family is allotted inheritance. And time and time again, the Lord had to save them from their enemies and bring them back to him. And then at the beginning of the book of Ruth, there was a famine in Bethlehem, the house of bread. And Elimelech and Naomi decided that the practical solution was to leave Israel and to go to Moab, of all places. And we heard the last time how Naomi rejected redemption when she told Orpah and Ruth in verse 8, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you. May the Lord grant that you each find rest in the home of an other husband. And then she goes on to tell Orpah, Go back to your father's house and to your own gods. And we also heard that Ruth was requesting redemption in these well-known verses, chapter 1, verse 16 and onwards, but Ruth replied, Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you will go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. And then we also heard that when Ruth comes back to Israel, comes to Israel and she meets Boaz, that Boaz reassures her of redemption in chapter 2, verse 12. I have been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband and how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people that you do not know. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, 
under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And for this evening, in the second half of this book, I would like to summarize the message of God's word for you as follows. The R of Ruth is the R of redemption. And we note four things. Redemption recognized by Naomi. Redemption requested once more by Ruth. Redemption reconfirmed by Boaz. And finally, redemption because of the Redeemer. So the R of Ruth is the R of redemption. And we note in the first place how redemption is now finally recognized by Naomi. We saw in the first two chapters how seeking the solution for the famine in only the horizontal dimension had led Elimelech and Naomi on the road to Moab, away from Israel, and in essence away from the church. And that road ended in emptiness and bitterness. And when Naomi, thinking about the future of her daughters-in-law, continues to see things only in the horizontal dimension, she tells them, go back to your parents' home. Maybe you will find another husband there. In her analysis, there is no role for God in the solution. She tells her them, go back to your own gods. In her grief and in her misery, but also in her self-pity, as you can read in chapter 1, verse 13, she blames the Lord for her misfortunes. But now Ruth has, as it happened, gone gleaning in Boaz's field, and just then Boaz arrived. And Ruth comes back with so much grain that it is clear that somebody had taken care of her. And so Naomi asked her, where did you go today? Blessed be that man. Finally, a bit of good news. But there is more good news on the way. Because the man's name, Ruth tells her, is Boaz. Boaz, the man about whom we, without any further elaboration, have already been told earlier that he was a kinsman and that he was a wealthy man, a man of standing. And with that second piece of news, that the man who took care of Ruth was actually the kinsman redeemer, the light comes on. And it dawns upon Naomi that the Lord's hand was not against her. Because now she remembers and she sees and she recognizes the Lord and his laws, the ones we read in Leviticus 25 and Deuteronomy 25, and his promises and his care. For listen carefully to what she says. The Lord has not stopped showing kindness to the living and the dead. And we should especially note that last edition, because the kindness to the living, to Naomi and to Ruth, is obvious. But what kindness to the dead and to which dead? We will come back to that in a minute. And so Naomi continues in her newfound joy and in her newfound understanding, that man is a close relative, he is a kinsman, redeemer of ours. Now we should digress here briefly to better understand that point. 
As we read in Leviticus 25 and Deuteronomy 25, close relatives could have two kinds of responsibilities to their impoverished or bereaved family members. Leviticus 25, in the case of a family, got to be so unfortunate and poor that they had to sell their land, their share in Israel's allotted inheritance, or even possibly themselves. Their kinsman redeemer, the Goel, had, if he could afford to do so, buy it back for them. Pay the price instead of them paying for no benefit. And it was a reminder of why the Lord had brought the Jewish people to the land of Canaan, and the reminder that that land was his gift. Now, such a support was a straight financial loss for the Redeemer, unless the recipient's line died out and the land became his. We know this from rabbinical sources. And that is important to understand in the discussion that we hear later at the gate in chapter 4. The second obligation that relatives could have was the leveret, lever, means brother-in-law, marriage. We read that in Deuteronomy 25. If brothers lived together on the family farm, as it were, and one of them died childless, leaving a widow, a brother had the obligation to marry her, in addition to a possibly existing wife of his own, and his brother's inheritance would go to any son from such leveret marriage. So his name would not be blotted out in Israel. Because it was the desire of every faithful Israelite to be represented through his descendants when the great Messiah came. That is what they all should be looking forward to. That is what the people of Israel were there for. And against this background, we can understand the fullness and not the emptiness anymore of Naomi's hope and joy. Maybe, maybe if this man Boaz was so generous in the interpretation of his duties to the poor, maybe then he would also be generous in the interpretation of his duties as a goel, a kinsman redeemer, and as a lever, as the man to marry the childless widow of his relative. Now, in the narrow definition of the law, Boaz did not need to do either. He is not the closest of kin. He is not a brother of Elimelech or Malon. But from with how much grain Ruth comes home, it is clear that this man interpreted his duties generously. If, maybe, he would act not only as a goal but also as a lever, then Elimelech and Malon's Malon could continue. And that would indeed be kindness not only to the living, Naomi and Ruth, but also to the dead, Elimelech and Malon. A possible redemption, a possible bringing back of Elimelech's line is what Naomi recognizes here. And now Naomi also sees that there may be a vertical dimension to the solution of her problems. And in verse 20, she says, The Lord has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. Now, recognizing the Lord's hand does not exclude our own responsibility that we also saw the last time. And Naomi decides very sensibly to test her hope. 
It will be good, my daughter, to go with his girls. Let us see whether this generosity is not a one-off from Boaz. And so we read, Ruth gleaned Boaz's fields for the rest of the barley and the wheat harvests. So we heard then how redemption was now recognized by Naomi. We will in the second place hear how redemption was requested once more by Ruth. Naomi has recognized God's saving, protecting, and healing hand in Boaz's kindness. And presumably this kindness continued during the time of the harvest. And then one day in chapter 3, verse 1, Naomi, who was of course the one most familiar with both the people and Israel's law, said to Ruth, Should I not try to find a home for you? And is not Boaz, with whose servant girls you have been, a kinsman of ours? Now, in the context of the Leveret marriage, and in light of Naomi's earlier comment about the kindness to the dead, it is clear that she had more in mind than just love, happiness, security, and comfort. And also Boaz saw this immediately, as we shall see in a minute. She and Ruth had come to understand that maybe this particular marriage was God's purpose with her life. Home, sometimes translated rest, is here also finding a purpose. A God-given destiny in life that may well be the opposite of inactivity and physical comfort, but that nevertheless gives rest and security. And so we see that Ruth dresses as a bride and goes to ask Boaz a question. And she is asking him to marry her. But she also asks for a specific kind of marriage. Verse 9b is the central verse. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a kinsman redeemer. Notice how clearly this beautiful story circles back to Boaz's own assurances to her in chapter 2, verse 12, where he said, May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. You see, the Lord, the Lord Almighty reigns in his providence, but he does so through, in the life of and through the ordinary people. And it is, as it were, as if Ruth says, Boaz, you told me that the Lord would protect me and take me under his wings. Well, let words and deeds go together. Be then God's instrument and spread the wings of your garment over me. In the ancient Near East, that expression was a symbol for marriage. But there is also an important addition because she says, I'm asking you because you are a kinsman redeemer. And with that last addition, Ruth defines the nature of her request. It is not, Boaz, because you are nice. It is not because you are rich. It is not because we are in love. All that could also apply to the other young man that Boaz refers to. 
And maybe Ruth, if she looked as beautiful as she often looks in the pictures of our children's Bible, maybe she could have married another young man who would have also provided a home and comfort. But then any children would have been the other man's and not as in the Leverett marriage for Elimelech, for Malion, and for Naomi. And in that light, we can also understand Boaz's answer. The Lord bless you, my daughter. This kindness is greater than which you showed earlier. Now, the earlier kindness was Ruth's kindness to Naomi, to which Boaz had referred in chapter 2, verse 11. I have been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband and how you left your father and your mother and your homeland and came to live with a people that you did not know before. But what and to whom is this greater kindness? To Boaz, because he was in love and maybe did not dare to ask her because he was somewhat older. Well, Boaz, in his subsequent dealings at the city gate, shows himself to be a respected, decisive man of influence. And I think it's highly unlikely that Boaz, if he had desired Ruth, he would have been too shy to ask. No, Boaz recognizes that Ruth's request for a marriage with a kinsman redeemer is a kindness to Naomi and Elimelech, whose line may thus be continued. It is the request for the redemption for the reinstatement of Elimelech, Malon, and Naomi's line amongst God's people. And Ruth's request for the redemption, the reinstatement of Elimelech and Malon's house made boldly and humbly, it was not without risk. Because Boaz could have refused. And how awkward and humiliating that would have been. There could have been a greedy groping under the blankets. And what protection would she have had? But Ruth made her request to the kinsman redeemer, nevertheless, because she was putting her trust in the God of Israel to whom she had wanted to belong. And so we heard then how redemption was now recognized by Naomi when she recognized that Boaz might act as a kinsman redeemer, and how redemption was requested by Ruth when she asked Boaz to marry her in his capacity as a kinsman redeemer, we will next hear how redemption is reconfirmed by Boaz. Because we read in the story that Ruth's selflessness towards Naomi and her respect towards Boaz, who as a result of her very discreet approach has full flexibility to decide, is not disappointed. And again, as the last time, we saw that Boaz is kind, my daughter, and that he is considerate. Stay here for the night. Going back in the middle of the night might be dangerous. And also go before it is light, thus avoiding any malicious gossip or excuses from the other kinsmen. And earlier in chapter 2, Boaz had reassured Ruth that the God of Israel, under whose wings she had sought refuge, would take care of her. And now he reconfirms this without any hesitation. 
I will do as you ask, as surely as the Lord lives. Verse 11 and verse 13. Did Boaz act since he was in love? Well, Boaz, we know from the text, respected her, and he acknowledged her kindness and her noble character. But love is not mentioned anywhere. If he had been driven by love, of course, he could have asked her before. And maybe he would not have made that reference to the other kinsman, the nearer of kin. Maybe he did love her. Maybe he came to love her. Maybe not. We are not told. But Boaz does confirm to Ruth that he will make sure that her request for a leveret marriage is honored, either by him or by the other. Not love, but faithful obedience on both the part of Ruth and Boaz is emphasized in our story. For all we know, Boaz may have already been married. There is really no evidence for the popular view that he was either a bachelor or a widower. And as a faithful and wealthy Israelite who understood the importance of descendants, why wouldn't he be married? And the blessings of the elders at the gate after the decision that Boaz and Ruth will marry are pretty articulate and their references are very much to the point in chapter 4, the verses 11 and 12. They do recognize that this is a leveret marriage, and therefore they make the reference to Tamar, who had requested also a leveret marriage. And they also recognize that this marriage is to build a house through offspring, and therefore the reference to Paris, who was the forefather of the tribe of Judah and the people in Bethlehem. And they also refer to Leah and Rachel, who were, of course, famous, if not notorious, for being Jacob's two wives. So Boaz, married or not, confirms that there will be a leverage marriage, and then he sets out to get this done. Leaving his threshing floor early, as the text tells us, he can catch everybody leaving the city in the morning for their fields. And also the gate was in general the common meeting place for the town elders. And Boaz, as a man of standing, could apparently request such a meeting, and he acts decisively. The nearer of kin who in another of these coincidences happens to pass by, is told that Naomi wants to sell a land and he is asked to redeem it. Now, redemption as per Leviticus 25 would in this case mean that he would pay Naomi, then give her back the land, but then he would inherit it after her death because there were no descendants of Naomi. And he says yes. Elaborate marriage was not the legal requirement in this case, even if he was the brother of Elimelech, because he and Elimelech did not live close together, and in addition, Naomi could not have any more children. But Boaz then proposes his more generous interpretation of Deuteronomy 25. You will also have to marry not Naomi, but Ruth, in order to maintain the dead man's name with his property, as it says in chapter 4, verse 5. Now, for the other man, that meant 
that the land that he would buy from Naomi and Ruth would not be part of his estate, but would be inherited by any children he and Ruth might get as a continuation of Elimelech's line. And that is why in chapter 4, verse 6, he is adamant, then I cannot redeem it because it might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Because apparently he felt that he was not wealthy enough to build and support two families with two inheritances. And then the relevance of chapter 2, verse 1 becomes clear. Boaz was both wealthy enough and willing to suffer the economic loss that he would incur through marrying Ruth if that resulted in children. And so in chapter 4, verse 9, Boaz reconfirms this redemption at the city gate of Bethlehem. So we heard then how redemption was recognized by Naomi, how it was requested by Ruth, and how it was reconfirmed by Boaz. We will, reflecting on the final verses of this book and in the last place, learn that it is redemption because of the Redeemer. Naomi returned from Moab to Bethlehem at the time of the barley harvest. And she told the women of Bethlehem, call me Mara, bitterness. For I went away full and I came back empty. But now Boaz, having confirmed to Ruth that he will make sure that there is a marriage for her, although it is still uncertain which one, he also sends an elegant message to Naomi in chapter 3, verse 17. He gave me these six measures of barley, saying, do not go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. So there is confirmation for Naomi, who understands, we read in chapter 3, verse 18, the signal. Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. And what a tense wait it must have been for these two women. A marriage, yes, but with whom? But we know the outcome in chapter 4, verse 13. And yes, in her own devices, Naomi went from fullness to emptiness. And now, under the Lord's providence, she went from emptiness to fullness. And at the point that it happens, there is again this chorus of reappearing witnesses, the women of Bethlehem. Naomi, we hear them say, has a son. Obed, servant, in her lap, in her care, as her provider for old age, but above all, the son through which her family would resume its place in Israel. Her family name would not be blotted out from amongst God's children. So then, let us return to the question that we started out with the last time. What is the point? What is the message of the book of Ruth? Is it a shining example of human solidarity and loyalty bringing about a happy end? Or is it redemption? Redemption is deliverance through paying a price, not to get something for yourself, but for somebody else. Paying a price for somebody else to allow him or her to resume his or her place amongst God's children. 
by buying them back from slavery, by buying their fields so they would have again their allotted inheritance as a means of existence in Israel, and by creating and paying for a second family so that the name of the dead would not be blotted out in Israel. And that is what Boaz, the kinsman redeemer, did for Ruth, for Naomi, for Elimelech, and Malon, for the living and the dead. And that, of course, is what the Lord Jesus did for us all. He became, the letter, tell, the letter to the Hebrews tells us, our kinsman. And he came down to earth and became a human being, the firstborn, as Paul calls him, among many brothers. And he is our Redeemer. All are justified freely through his grace. Through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus, we are brought back to God. God presented the Lord Jesus as a sacrifice of atonement for our sins, and the Lord Jesus paid the ultimate price at the cross, so that we can take our place again amongst the children of God. And in the book of Ruth, we see a beautiful illustration and definition of this redemption. We also see the preparation for that final redemption in chapter 4, verse 22. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David. Obed was the father of Jesse, the father of David, and from David the Messiah, the great Redeemer, would come. The next of kin, Mr. So-and-so, who was so keen to preserve his estate and would not redeem, he goes down into history without any name. And the Limelech's name was legally preserved. Even the Messiah would come for his descendants. But Boaz, the faithful Israelite, in the finale of this book, and again in Matthew, gets the credit. Because the focus of the book is on the act of redemption, on the Redeemer, the Goel. And in its final verses, this book points ahead to the ultimate Redeemer. It is, as we read in Hebrews 9, verse 15, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that we who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since the death has occurred that redeems from the transgressions committed. So what a wonderful and beautiful and elegant book. Read it. Admire its elegant composition. Admire even more the example of obedience and faithfulness in Boaz, Ruth, and later Naomi. But above all, marvel and rejoice in God's goodness. Because our Lord Jesus, to whom in its final verses this booklet points, brought us back to him, to him through his sacrifice where he paid for our sins and so redeemed us. And therefore read and remember that the R of Ruth is the R of redemption. Amen. Let us pray.